Y'all can have a seat unless you didn't grab one of the communion cups on the way in, then don't have a seat. Go grab some because uh, we're going to take communion together at the end of the service. Uh, and there's some right out there uh, and then they're right on the tables right back there. Um, uh, we're going to take communion together right at the end. So um, grab it on the way in instead of doing that. My name is Fred. Welcome. Uh, I am glad that y'all are here. I get to be the lead pastor here, which is, which is great fun. Thanks for singing too. Um, there's something about this space that we get to hear the congregation sing, and I think it's beautiful. I don't know if y'all get to experience that where you're sitting, but sitting up here, I get to feel and hear you sing over us, and it's really cool. So thank you for, for worshiping with us. Uh, whether you're in person or online, I want to welcome y'all too. Uh, as, um, as we get started, I have one more announcement to make about groups. Um, some groups kick off this week. We have some focus groups that kick off this week, and then growth groups start next week. Now, groups really are the, the hub of who we are as a church. And so if you call Fellowship Asheville home, I would love for you to be in a group. Um, you can go to our website and find those groups. If none of those groups um, you're able to go to, Right There's another group called Waiting List. <laughs> Sign up for the waiting list, and then what I do is as that waiting list fills up, maybe we can make a group out of the people uh, that sign up on that waiting list. So if you want to get in a group, but none of them can possibly work with your schedule, uh, then sign up for the waiting list. And as far as focus groups go, uh, focus groups meet for a specific reason for a specific season, and they're there uh, to help you kind of hone uh, some skills or deal with something uh, that's very specific that you need to deal with. And, and so we've got a few focus groups. Two of them start this week. One of them that starts this week is Soulwell, uh, which uh, in the simplest terms is, is training lay counselors how to listen well, right? People that have a heart and a gifting and a desire to help others. Uh, Jackie Perry leads that, and she will, will help you uh, be a helper for people when they need it and be that kind of safe space for them to share what's going on in their heart and soul um, and, to, and to hear them and, 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 and to listen based on the foundations of, of truth. Uh, and, and what's great about Jackie is it's the foundations found in God's Word. Plus, she's also really smart with... Uh, modern research about how the brain works and all that. I don't even know, but she's awesome. So sign up if you want to do it. It starts this week, and so you need to sign up quickly. Also starting this week is Grief, grief Share. It's the first time we've offered that here at Fellowship. So if you have experienced grief, uh, uh, particularly in the past three years going through the pandemic, I think we probably all have to some degree, uh, there is a group here for you uh, to, to work through that. And then, of course, we have uh, Be the Bridge, uh, which is our, our group on how do we uh, live in a, in a world that's divided, particularly among race, what does that look like for us as believers to engage in that space and to do it well? Uh, and then mentoring moms uh, is a space uh, that meets once a month. It really is come as you are, and it's the first Thursday of every month. And it is a place for new moms uh, to, to gather around with experienced moms. What did I say? Meets, meets every third Thursday, right? What did I say? First, don't show up on the first Thursday, because they won't be here. 
third Thursday show up. And again, all that information is on the website, and so you can, you can go there. Go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. We're going to go through 822 through uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And, and as we start off the sermon today, I want to do kind of an unofficial survey, right? Just by simply raising your hand if this is you. Uh, here's, here's the question. Who here would love to have a little more patience in your life? Good, that's about 90% of the rooms. The other 10% of you needed a little more truth in your life, right? <laughs> like, like, like patience is one of those things, right, that we, could, we can all benefit from more of. Now, let me ask you this. When I said how many of you could need, you know, would benefit from more patience in your life, how many of you thought of those things that kind of annoy you? Right? Like, like maybe it is um, uh, how other people on the road don't know how to drive. Right? And that's frustrating. Right? Because they really don't know how to drive. Right? Not me. Them. Right? It's frustrating. Uh, could it be um, uh, maybe you uh, have little kids in your home and you're just tired. Right? And, and when you're tired, it's hard to muster up patience. And maybe that's what you thought of. Maybe if you are a, a, a kid, maybe an overbearing parent, you need a little more patience to, 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 to work with that, right? Or maybe a boss, uh, an, a coworker, you need some more patience to, to, to deal with. Like, like, those are all good things. But what if I ask you this? What if I said, how many of you need a little more patience when it comes to your relationship with God? Right? See what I did there? A little, little twist there, right? right? How many of you need a little more patience in your relationship with God? For example, you have prayers that you have prayed and prayed and prayed, and they still remain unanswered. And you're getting tired and weary, and those are good prayers, prayers for healing. Maybe you need healing, and the healing hasn't come, right? And you see other people get healed, and you're not. You see other prayers answered. And not yours. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's the, the, the unchanged life of someone that you love that you've been praying for. And it's not happening. Maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's a breakthrough in your life. Or maybe just a better life in general that you've been praying for. You see, you don't have to raise your hand. But just think about this. How many of us would say that yes, I need more patience in my relationship with God? If that's you then I think Mark is going to help us today with that. Because here's what we're going to see today. We're going to see a path toward patience in our relationship with God. Now notice I use the word path, right? It's not a magic wand in our patience with God. It is a path that we get to walk in. Now last week, Matt, uh, he, he, when he preached, he told this story about his little girls, which is great, and they're love and, and fear of a pool, right? How one of them uh, loves the deep end and jumps in the deep end, like even without floaties, just goes. The other one, all floaties, everything, and she stays in the shallow end. Lots, lots of caution. Well, what Matt did last week is he taught us about the shallow ends of the faith and the deep ends of our faith. And it was a great sermon. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, go listen to it uh, online on our website. It was great. But as he was talking about that, it reminded me not only of my kids uh, when they were younger and in the pool, but also when I was a school teacher, 
uh, during the summers, I used to teach swim lessons. This was in Texas. We had a pool in our backyard, and I was like, that's a money machine sitting right there in our backyard. And so I taught private lessons uh, in, during the summer to help kind of uh, compensate for a teacher's salary. Uh, and, and what's interesting is when I told my grandfather that I was teaching swim lessons, he was like, why? Because you know what he said? He said, well, when I learned to swim, they just gave me a milk jug and threw me in the river. Now, milk jug, keep in mind, it was a glass milk jug, not, not, the, not the fancy plastic ones like we have. Like, easy to fill up, easy to sink, and that's, that's what he had no, I, no idea about. Why in the world would you teach someone swim lessons? Well, see, my job teaching swim lessons was to take kids from the shallow end to the deep end and to help them learn how to swim in the deep end safely. That's what swim lessons is for. It's, and, and, and I tell you, it never fails. I had students that were just like Abigail, right? Like, like, like swim lessons are there and they go straight to the deep end. You know why? Because they're used to jumping in the deep end with floaties on. But when you're teaching swim lessons, there's no floaties. And do you know what happens when you jump in the deep end and you're used to floaties and you don't have floaties? You know what happens? They would sink right to the bottom, and every time I would just reach down, grab them up, and take them to the shallow end, and I'd be like, okay, let's learn how to do that safely, right? right? That's, what, that's what swim lessons is. My job was to teach them how to swim in the deep end safely, and the key was not to do it grandpa style, to just throw them in, which, you know what's funny? Like, I never actually saw my grandfather swim. So I think, based on my one case study, that way doesn't work, right? <laughs> like, 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 like it, was, it wasn't him, you know, but learning to swim in the deep end of our faith safely is important. Because here's what happens when you jump into the deep end, unprepared, and without learning the skills to swim in the deep end, what happens is you get scared. And you, either someone has to rescue you, or... You climb out of the deep end, scared of the water, even in the shallow end, or you decide to never get back in the pool again. This is what Jesus is going to talk about. He's going to show us how to move from the shallow ends of the faith to the deep ends and learn to swim in the deep ends of our, of our faith safely. Right? So let's look at verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 22. And I promise all this will make sense as we look at Because if you look at this test, you're like, this doesn't talk about a pool at all. It's all right. It's all right, we'll get there, right? Like verse 22 says this, And they came uh, to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Uh, and when he had spit in his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like what? What does it say? Trees. They look like trees walking. Now, now, here's what's interesting, this healing that Jesus does. All the other times when Jesus does a healing, right, it's like instant, isn't it? Like, like he tells demons to be gone, and they're gone. He doesn't, we even saw one time he doesn't even have to actually say it. He can think it and just tell someone, go on home, your child's fine. Like, like these healings are instant. And we've seen this scenario played out where friends bring a blind man or a person in need to Jesus. And Jesus pulls them off to the side, lays his hands on them, and heals them, and it's instant, right? But this time, it's odd, isn't it? That this time, Jesus does what Jesus has always done, and the blind man can just kind of see, not fully see. 
And so you, you read this and you say, okay, what in the world is going on here? Right? And, and pastors and theologians and biblical scholars have different viewpoints on this about what, what could be happening. Um, um, why didn't this healing take the first time? But here's, here's what I think is happening based on, on, on what they've said. And other people say this, so it's not just my original thought. But what Mark is doing here is he's trying to draw us in to this man's plight, to where this man is. Right? Because all the other times, it was instant, and here it's not. It's, it's different for a reason, right? It stands out for a reason, right? His friends bring him, and, and Jesus agreed to heal him. Like, everything works as it worked for everyone else, but for this guy, it's different. For this guy, he must have gone to Jesus with excitement building, right? He must have gone to Jesus with like, okay, we're here. I've heard about him doing this before because he couldn't see it, right, because he was blind. But he's heard about it. His friends have heard about it. And they have told him, listen, all we do is bring you to Jesus, right, and he'll pray for you and you will be healed and you will be able to see, which means you'll be able to work. You'll be able to provide for your family. Life will be good. He's like, take me. And they go and Jesus does it. And it doesn't work fully. Not like it did with everybody else. And it's different. You see, I think what Mark is drawing us into is this tension that we experience in our faith journey with Jesus. This tension that we experience in this path toward patience with God. It's this experience that we have, this tension that we have that causes us to need more patience with God. And it's this, is I want God to do exactly what God can do and I want it now, right? Like, I know God can heal blind people because I've seen Jesus do it. I know he can change lives because other lives are changed. I know he can, he can, he can provide, he can turn water into wine, I've heard about. Like, Jesus can do this. I want him to do this for me, and I want him to do this for me now. Can anybody identify with this? Seeing Jesus do something for someone, and yet for you, he's not. And when, when you feel that way, it can be very isolating. It can be very lonely, because it's, it's, it's hard to bring that up, particularly to your friend that's getting all the stuff, right? To your person that's been healed, you don't go to them and go, I wish I had some healing, right? You celebrate their healing, but inside the frustration grows, right? Like you've seen him heal marriages. You've read the books and your marriage isn't getting healed. You've done the steps that the author talked about and, and, and her marriage was healed and yours isn't. You didn't get the acceptance letter to the school that you've been praying for and working hard for, but your friends did. Right? The, the cancer is still there even though you've prayed, and their cancer's gone. Other people get checks in the mail, and you get bills. <laughs> right? Like, we've been there. I know the tension of wanting something for your child only to see God give it to others, and it's hard. But I want us to remember there's a shift that's happening here in the book of Mark. Right? Remember, the first section of the book of Mark is us seeing who Jesus is. 
right? That he is God. That God is Jesus. Jesus is God. Now we see this shift happening for the next few chapters that what if he really is? What does that mean? If he is the Messiah, what does that mean for me? What if? And you're going to see Jesus teach his disciples a whole lot more than teaching the crowd in this section. Because he's showing them this is what kingdom life is like. This is what you can expect when you say yes to me and you, and you, and you dedicate your life to following me and walking with me. You see, this is what it's like to follow Jesus. And what Mark is showing us is that this healing is something for us to recognize because there is a pattern that we're going to see here, right? And we're going to see it as I, as I teach through this, that we're going to see that our faith is an instant faith, salvation, right? Our faith is a progressive faith, that's sanctification. And our faith is an ultimately fulfilled faith. And the theological term for that is glorification, that there are parts and moments in our faith where God answers prayers immediately, like salvation. Like when we say yes to Jesus, heaven rejoices right then. They don't wait to see how we're going to behave the next day. All right? Paul talks about in Ephesians 1 that for those who have said yes to Jesus and walk with him, we are already seated in the heavenlies and sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is done and that is instant. Right, That we are declared clean, we are declared righteous before God. Patience isn't needed on those quickly answered prayers like that. But there are other parts of our faith which are progressive, and that's what sanctification is. Right, We start in the shallow end, and we learn how to swim there so we can move into the deep ends of our faith correctly. Like I said, if not, we get to the deep end and we panic. We turn back, or we get out of the pool altogether. And what Mark is going to do here is we're going to see him lay out a pattern with this healing, and we're going to see it played out. Because look at this, verse 25. This is after the, the guy says they look like trees walking around. It says, verse 25, And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Don't even, I do not even enter the village. Because what Mark shows us, too, is when he heals people and tells them, Don't tell people, Jesus knows it's not time for his public ministry yet. And so that's really all that is. It's like, Hey, just, just try and keep this to yourself. And you also see people are horrible at it. Right? They, they continue to tell people about Jesus. And Mark, in particular, is really good about showing us how famous Jesus was. But I want you to notice three things that happened to this guy. Right? First, his eyes were opened. Right? Secondly, his vision was restored. And then third, it says that he could see clearly. Do you see a pattern? Eyes opened, salvation. Vision restored, that's the process of sanctification. And we're going we're gonna to explain all these. And then see clearly, y'all, one day. One day, we're going to close our eyes in death and see Jesus face to face, clearly. Right? That's what happened with Jesus. That's what, that's what Mark is showing us. Is he's saying, hey, it happened to this guy. Now pay attention. Because Mark is going to show us what this looks like if you're a disciple. Right? We get some little labs to this lesson. Look, look, at, verse, um, look at verse 27. Verse 27 says this. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Right? Now, this question is, is kind of the defining question of, of Mark. Like, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Because what Jesus is saying, if you say, if they say that I'm their Savior, that I'm the Messiah, then, then, then listen to what I'm about to teach you about kingdom life. Because I'm showing you a whole new way to life. As a matter of fact, John of the early church in the book of Acts, they called themselves the way. Right? Because it was a whole new way to life. Very Mandalorian, that is not the way. Right? This is the way. Right? But let me point out something that's so key in the book of Mark. Because we see it mentioned time and time again. Notice the words that on the way, or he went with his disciples. Right? He was journeying with them. He was walking with them, and he asked this question. Shoulder to shoulder, as they're walking, he was asking this question. Not behind a pulpit, not in the large group. He was asking his disciples. And Jesus asked this important question while he's with his disciples. You see, here's something true about the heart of our Jesus that we need to know about what he's going to lay out, is that our Jesus is a walk-with-us God. Right? Coming here is great because we get to teach you and we get to lead worship all in one space and it's big. You know, it saves me like 200 coffee appointments a week. Right? There's, there's goodness in this. Right? But let's be clear Jesus did this sometimes, but a lot of his teaching was sitting down with his disciples, a lot of his teaching was walking beside them, a lot of his teaching was shoulder to shoulder. And not in rows. That's the heart of our God. Right? That he is with us. Not preaching at us. But engaging with us. Right? And trust me, if there was a way to have 200 coffee appointments a week, I would do it. But there's not, so we're here. I mean, I could if I didn't have a wife or kids or home. Or a life. But I have all those things. I have all those things, right? You see, this process of sanctification, of moving from the shallow ends of our faith to the deep end of our faith, isn't a pull yourself up by the bootstrap journey. It is an opportunity to walk with Jesus kind of faith. And Jesus teaches them along the way. And here's the deal, church. He will teach us along the way, too. He teaches us shoulder to shoulder as we walk with him. And so y'all hear me on this. If you don't get anything from this message, I want you to get this. That the goal of our faith isn't growth. The goal of our faith is to be with Jesus. And I truly believe growth happens from that. Well, Because what we're about to see is the, the goal of our faith. This is scary, right? And the church crowd doesn't know. The, the, the goal of our faith isn't even having the right answers all the time it's being with jesus i love right answers right scripture doesn't always have the right answers there's one right answer and the question jesus asks is the important one and it is important to get this one right but what we see is that the disciples particularly in, in, in uh, particularly peter is that he wants to be the star student he wants to get all the answers right. The answer to this one is important. And the goal of our faith is walking with the one that's asking the question. Right? The goal of their faith is the one asking the question as he's walking with them. 
See, up until this point, they're kind of like the man that has just been healed. They see the faith like a tree. They don't see bodies yet. They don't see humanity yet. They see something misty in front of them. But look at verse 28. Look at what they say. Verse 28 says this. It says, and he told them, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others uh, one of the prophets. But he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone. In other words, Peter, you got the answer right. And in, in, in if we correlate this to the guy that just got healed, guess what? Your eyes have been opened. You see me for who I am is what Jesus is saying. You see, patience with God, our patience in our relationship with God begins by seeing Jesus correctly. That's where it starts. You really can't have a whole lot of patience with God if you don't see God for who he really is and who he fully is to us, and that is Jesus. Right? You can have some, but you need Jesus walking beside you. Right? And notice in this process, eyes opened is the first step, not the last. Right? And if you haven't said yes to Jesus as your Savior, as your way to, to have a deep and personal relationship with God, then say yes to him today. And let him walk with you through life. Because look at verse 31. Look at what Jesus does. Verse 31 says this, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and killed and after three days rise again. Y'all, this is the clearest explanation that Jesus gives about what's going to happen. Right? He says, guys, listen. I'm going to be crucified and you're going to think I'm dead, but I'm not, gonna, but I'm not dead. I'm busy. Right? And I'm going to come back in the resurrection and change everything. It's the clearest explanation. And what Jesus is doing is the same thing I used to do when I taught swimming lessons in the sense that when I was teaching a skill, I would oftentimes get in the deep end, they would all be in the shallow end, and I would show them what the, the stroke would look like. I would show them like breaststroke or freestyle, whatever, so they'd have a picture of it in their head. And there's always that one kid that thought, ooh-wee, I can do this right now. And they would take off toward the deep end. And if you've ever seen it, it is arms and legs flailing, water everywhere. And then you wait about 10 seconds because guess what? They don't know how to do it. And they sink. And I pick them up and I bring them back over here to the shallow end. And I begin to teach them the skills. Jesus is showing them, y'all, this is the big picture. This is why I don't want you out telling people. This is why I don't want them out telling people. This is the big picture. This is the plan. This has been God's plan A all along. Right? But they decided, well, let's just jump in the deep end and see what happens. Because this is what that looks like if you're a disciple. Look what Peter does. It's great. Verse 32, Peter does this. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right? You see, Peter thinks right, that he has the skill to swim in the deep end. Peter thinks, no, 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 I know the plan. The plan is you're supposed to kick out Rome so that we can be a powerful nation again. And Jesus, in a different set of words, says, Peter, child, 
Rome isn't your problem. Sin is your problem. And I'm going to deal with that. You see, Peter needs to learn some of the basic skills of swimming in the deep end. Like skill number one, don't rebuke Jesus. What Jesus says is right, you're wrong. That's skill number one. Right? But this is our man having our vision restored. That's why Jesus says, you don't, you don't see the things of God. You see the things of man, and we are going to restore your vision. You see, he learns from Jesus and not to fight against him. You see, patience with God starts by us seeing Jesus clearly, but patience with God continues by seeing as Jesus sees. Right? I don't know about you, but, but it, when my impatience can be felt the most is when, without using these words, but this is what's happening in my soul, I am trying to rebuke Jesus, right? I'm trying to tell him, I mean, I know you think this way, but it should be this way, right? I should get what I want because they got what they wanted, and you gave it to them, right? When I'm not willing to see as Jesus sees, Right? I'm only willing to see what I want. That's seeing the ways of man and seeing the way man sees. One of the toughest prayers to pray is, God, help me see as you see. That person that I'm angry with, God, help me to see them as you see them. You know what happens? Dad Gummit, he shows me that they're broken and that they're just trying to figure out life too. And then I have compassion for them, and it's harder to be angry. I'm still fairly good at it, though, but it's harder, right? You see, the object of my frustration when I ask God to show me what he sees in them often turns to an object of compassion and mercy and kindness for me. You see, Peter still thinks, man, Jesus, we need you to kick Rome out, but they don't. Restored vision is learning to rest in the fact that Jesus is right. He's right. So the question for you is, where are you fighting to trust him? Where are you trying to rebuke him like Peter did, and you're trying to tell God the plan? Because maybe that's the place where your vision needs to be restored. Maybe that's the place where you need to trust him instead, because here's what happens when we do. What happens when you continue Um, to see Jesus in a particular area of your life. Look at verse 34. It says, In calling 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 the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? It says, "For, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed. And when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And so Jesus is showing them this process of having your vision restored is that you take up your cross and you follow Jesus. And here's what it's going to mean. It's going to mean self-denial. Right? That it's Jesus' desires, not yours. It's going to mean self-sacrifice, that you take up Jesus' cross. Other people don't take up yours. Right? 
And it's going to mean self-surrender, where you're continuing to follow Jesus instead of your own way. He doesn't follow you. You see, Jesus is saying the way to life isn't in the way this world sees it. And it never will be, that the way to life is found in this continual walking with Jesus. Look at this last verse today, and then we'll, we'll close down. In verse 9, he says this, And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it uh, has come with power. You see, Jesus ends with this promise of glorification. Some of you will see the kingdom of God. Now the disciples got to see the, the resurrection. Like they got to see that aspect of it. For us, one day, like I said, we will close our eyes. And we will see the kingdom of God in its full display. Right now we just get to taste it. But one day we will experience it with all five senses. And Jesus is saying this tension that you live in, this restored vision, one day the suffering is going to be over. And our patience with God will be replaced with this fulfilled promise of God. One day we won't need patience anymore with God. Because we'll have his full presence there. One day we'll, we'll see clearly. Right? Until then we get to live a full life of walking with Jesus, with the promise of an even fuller life later. Can I tell you a quick story as I close of what this looks like? And hopefully I won't tear up, but I just might. So, fair warning. If you cry when other people cry, I hope you wore waterproof mascara or brought a Kleenex. Because I got to experience um, two different women walk through cancer, almost at the same time. Literally one diagnosis was, was weeks after the other. And it was so interesting to see how these women went through that cancer diagnosis. Because one woman, I got to see walk through it, she fought God every step of the way. Not yielding to him, she even denied that she had cancer. Until literally she was at the end of her life and she yielded to God. And for the people that were surrounding her, um, there was this inability to grieve her loss because she wasn't even acknowledging it. And when she submitted to God and said yes to him, like there was rejoicing in heaven and there was rejoicing with us in Grief got to happen, but it was only a matter of weeks, if even that long, before she passed. But there was another woman who I got to see walk through cancer. And she lived the way Jesus is talking about here. She went through that diagnosis with Jesus. She went through that diagnosis accepting it and went through that journey accepting that this is what God has for me right now. Would I choose it? No. Did he choose it? Apparently because here we are. And what that allowed her to do is to experience a full life as death was taking over her body. And her and her husband would talk about these moments that they got to have. They'd be at a concert just sitting there and they'd be like, this is a moment, isn't it? And it's a moment where we get to experience life. And then at the very end, 
It was beautiful because she told her family, she said, listen, if God was going to heal me, and listen, she fought cancer and we prayed for her healing, and she said, if God was going to heal me, he would have done it by now. Let's say goodbye well. And the whole family gets it. Say goodbye to her and and mourn with her and grieve with her. And there was life in the midst of that. Jesus was right there with them. And y'all, like, who do we want to be? Do we want to be people that fight him and deny what he's doing? Or do we want to be people that walk with him in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the, of the, the, the sin-caused trauma that completely surrounds us all the time? Do we want to walk with Jesus in the midst of that or do we want to ignore it? Church, we have an opportunity to walk with Jesus in the midst of it because when we do we get to experience life even there that's what vision being restored is like we get to see God work in the most awful of circumstances we get to see God work in the best of circumstances church can we be that church who walks with Jesus This is a good time to respond and give me a good old Baptist amen. Can we walk with Jesus in the midst of it? Yeah. Well, that's what we're going to take communion today together to do, which I realized I told you all to get one. I didn't get one. (laughs) Hard to leave communion. Thank you. Thank you. Um, We take communion together today knowing that we have a God who is with us, which is why Jesus wanted the disciples to do it. He wanted them to experience what it was like to even think about him fully indwelling them as a people. And the Spirit of God fully indwells us, and communion uh, is a picture of that. And so we take communion together. Start with the cracker. And we take communion together because his body was broken for us so that we could have life with him. And his blood was shed for us so that we can have life with him. Jesus, you are with us. Help us to see as you see. Help us to be with you every step of the way. In Christ's name I pray, amen.